Well, the, I think the biggest roadblock for us is, you know, we, we were still and, and are relative to, you know, a lot of companies, a, a smaller company. And so you have less resources. And so the, the challenge is how do you compete with these guys uh, with with less resources? You know, we can't go out and, and, and buy a bunch of land. I mean, you can. You can buy more land in an afternoon than you can use in a lifetime. But that doesn't mean that's a good business decision. And, and so how do you compete? That, that's really the biggest roadblock. And, and my partner, Jim Harris, you know, his adage is if you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete. And, and I think the key to that is if, if you're just delivering the same thing as everybody else, then how are you going to really stand out as a business and how are you going to be profitable as a long running business? And so that's the question that we ask ourselves all the time is, is what is our competitive advantage here and where who do we want to be when we grow up? You know, it was really the question when we started out. And, and so that was the roadblock. And, and so, you know, over time, we decided that, wow, we can go into these older neighborhoods and, and do some redevelopment because not only do you have the, the pieces that we love, you know, the street trees, the, the, the pedestrian friendliness, those are already in place in a lot of these older areas. And, and sometimes you have vacant land in those older areas or you have um, buildings that have outlived their usefulness and need to be torn down and replaced. And so that's a great opportunity for us. So that really became part of our focus and it still is. In fact, uh, we're, we're building over in the River District right now, which is kind of the area uh, over by the river, off-white settlement, uh, by Crestwood, uh, Westworth Village. And it's a great opportunity because it's like, wow, this has been historically a bunch of RV parks and now it's got great bones. You have the river, trails, green space, kind of the lungs of Fort Worth. And then you have great location. You're only seven minutes, you know, from downtown. So, so you, you get in those older areas and, and you're able to put the product that we do, which has character. It fits in. It looks like a lot of the older houses. In fact, the best testament we had is we built some houses in Rivercrest and uh, some contractors came and they couldn't find the house because they thought it was an older house. They're like, that can't be a new house. It looks exactly like these other houses. And, and so to be able to, <laughs> to, to blend in seamlessly is always the goal. But that became a focus for us. And then in, in, in the suburbs, obviously, that's, that's where the growth is. Uh, however, we can't go out, you know, buy a huge tract of land because we just don't have the resources. Uh, so we certainly, with Jim's connection, Jim Harris, he's developing land that we're buying lots in. Uh, and then we also do kind of smaller developments. So we really focus on, for example, right now we have a, a five-acre tract out in Alito that we're developing. It's called the Enclave, uh, right out by the high school in, in Alito. And we're going to create our own little, uh, you know, village neighborhood of about 22 homes in the Enclave. And so that's really our strategy. And as we've uh, learned and grown over time, uh, we've decided that's really what we want to be. We want to redevelop these great neighborhoods in Fort Worth and, and other areas uh, as Fort Worth grows. And we want to develop new neighborhoods that capture the essence uh, of older neighborhoods uh, where we can put our stamp on them and leave the ground better than we found it. Man, and, you know, over there off of White Settlement, it is really amazing what you guys have done. I mean, Chris Powers, right? I mean, there weren't a lot of people that wanted to go into trailer parks and say, <laughs> let's, let's do that here. Right. 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 And yeah, we, we, I, I drove by those, the, the RV park where we were actually where I live now, right. which is Rivercrest Bluffs. And I drove by that for years. And, and what captivated me was the view. Yeah. It was like, 
this is one of the best views in Fort Worth. And that's what I loved about Austin was the views and just the, the, the landscape. But Fort Worth has, has much of the same. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. And for more information on our guests, go to myexperiencedrealtor.com. You'll see in the top right of the landing page a link that says podcast. You click on that, scroll down to find any of the guests. You can also find out more information on them on that portion of the landing page, as well as download their episodes on whatever platform you prefer, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or YouTube, and learn about great guests like I have today, Mr. Michael Dyke. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing great, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So for the audience, let's tell the audience what it is that you do in this great world we live in. So we uh, build houses. So my company, Village Homes, uh, started in 1996. It's hard to believe it's been that long. So we've been in Fort Worth uh, since that time and have been building new homes. Our tagline is homes of character. We're inspired by great designs that you see in, in a lot of great neighborhoods in every city. And Fort Worth uh, has great neighborhoods, Berkeley, Monticello. Um, there's, there's so many great old neighborhoods in Fort Worth. And, and when we started the company, we were inspired by the homes in those neighborhoods. And not only the homes, just the feel of those neighborhoods that you didn't get in new neighborhoods. You know, the sidewalks, the street trees, the just community atmosphere that you had in these old neighborhoods. It's hard to replicate that in a new neighborhood. And when we, when I was building in the early 90s, it was a soulless, sterile looking place. All the houses looked the same. The two-story front arch, you, you see that, you know, it was built in the early 90s. And, and so we really want to do something a little bit different. And we want to do something that had some character. And that's what inspired us to start Village Homes in 1996. Man. So, and we're going to dive into a lot here today. But my father-in-law, James Van Hook, and of course, you know, my mother-in-law, sure, Carol, Carol Van Hook. Absolutely. I mean, who doesn't know Carol? We've been working with her for a long time. Oh, man. And she is she is the best mother-in-law in the planet. And I always say, I'm your best son-in-law. She's like, you're my only son-in-law. And I was like, by <laughs> an inch or by a mile, winning's winning, right? <laughs> but James had said when I first started his podcast series that I have to start every one of these off with a joke. And I got one that I think is very fitting for the housing industry. Here. Excellent. Okay. Michael, knock, knock. Who's there? Abbott. Abbott who? B Abbott, about time you answer the door. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that to be kind of funny because when you and I were, were, were talking a second ago is, you know, you, I knew when I started this series, I wanted to have you on, on here with me because your reputation, your integrity, just you're one of those people in Fort Worth, which we know is the most incestuous place on this earth, right? Like everybody knows each <laughs> yeah, other, wife, related wife, to each uh, other. <laughs> we'll agree with that for sure. <laughs> and she's not from here. Never once heard your name in a sentence that didn't have something great well, to be said. That is nice. that is impressive to build that 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 type of reputation. And even more so, you have like no personal social media footprints, which I admire so much, especially in today's day and age of listening to all the BS that's on those and trying to, you know, 
working with you for a number of years and doing deals through your company and selling many of your 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 houses, um, I knew I was like, man, I need I need to get a hold of Michael. So I need I was trying to track down finding your cell phone. And you've done a really good job of protecting it. So the last thing we're going to do is put that out for public consumption here because you've done such a good job of protecting that number <laughs> that the last thing we're going to do is put that out there. <laughs> well, it's not it's not necessarily by design. I just uh, <laughs> don't get into social media. And, you know, my, my feeling is certainly I want to promote Village Homes. Um, and when it comes to reputation, you know, the, the old saying, it takes 15 years to build it and five minutes to lose it is certainly right. And that's certainly what we tell my wife and I tell our kids is uh, reputation is everything. And we've worked very hard as a company uh, to build that reputation and to try to do the right thing in all situations. And that's not always easy. As any you know, business owner and, and somebody that works in business will say, it's not always easy uh, because sometimes you have to be honest. You have to hold people accountable. You have to make sure that you're not doing you know, more than, um, than, than you really need to do. And I, you know, that, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but I guess what I mean by that is everybody, you know, always says the customer's always right. And I totally agree with that. The customer's always right. And we're in this business to fulfill, you know, our customers. But at the same time, it's incumbent on us to set expectations. You know, if you come in to buy a house from us and you have this expectation of a, of a gold, uh, you know, bathroom uh, and we deliver something that's less than that, then we've missed that expectation. And we maybe have ended up with a customer that's not happy. So we, we first and foremost have to be a, be a good steward uh, of value and accountability and setting the right expectation. And, and so that's, that's the key on the reputation side is to make sure we're not trying to oversell and underdeliver. Uh, we're, we're trying to make sure that we're delivering to that expectation that we're setting. So 24 years in this industry, and I want to come back to this reputation um, topic, but before people can understand what that really means to you is let's go back 24 years ago. So you decided to become a home builder. Did that home building start in 96? So I started uh, building homes in 93. Um, Soon after graduating from college, I went to UT down in Austin and actually, I knew I wanted to be in real estate. And really, my desire was to be in, in an industry that I could do something on my own. You know, I really wanted to be in business for myself. I had started a couple, you know, lawn mowing businesses when I was in high school and, and really liked the, the opportunity to kind of work for yourself and deal with clients. And, and so I knew I wanted to do something on my own. I felt like real estate maybe afforded that opportunity. And, and so I started out in, in the commercial side of real estate here in Fort Worth and met some great people. Uh, with Huff Browse, McDowell, and Montese back in the early 90s and uh, got my real estate license. But I, but I soon realized that that environment uh, didn't suit my strengths. And that's one of the things, you know, as you grow and mature, you learn a lot about yourself and, and maybe what your strengths and limitations are. And, and so I decided that I, I wanted to do something where I could see maybe the fruits of my labor and, and home building construction, you know, really attracted me because you do see that. You see, you know, things happening on site. You see the fruits of your labor. You see the results, you know, happening in front of you and the end product. And, and so that really appealed to me. And I had a friend that worked in the industry in Austin uh, that, I, that I knew from school. And so he, he really wanted me to come down and, and talk to his company. And I did. Newmark Homes was that company. And uh, worked for them in Austin is, is where I started building homes. And it was a great opportunity because uh, the guy that I was training under uh, quit after a couple of weeks. And so all of a sudden I had like 20 houses, <laughs> had no idea what I was doing. 
And uh, it was definitely uh, sink or swim. But thankfully, I had good people around me. Uh, my, my uh, you know, one of the guys that I worked with really helped me out, taught me how to build homes the right way, uh, how to take care of, of customers. And so through that experience, I really learned that craft and, and knew that that was what I wanted to do because you saw the results. You, you could you could organize things. Uh, and the other thing is it's it's your it's your home. You know, it's where you spend most of your time. And there's a lot of emotions tied to our houses. Right. And, and not only is 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 it the place you spend most of your time is the place you spend most of your money uh, to buy. And, and so all those things wrapped together, you know, made it feel right. The other thing that I've been inspired by is just the way the environment, the built environment affects how we feel. You know, you go to, to any place USA, you know, strip malls, uh, strip centers, uh, soulless subdivisions, and, and how does that make you feel versus going to an older neighborhood that's got trees, it's got shade, it's got, you know, yards. Um, then you come to a downtown that's walkable, pedestrian friendly. Um, you compare those two places and it's like, wow, you know, if we have the opportunity to leave this ground better than we found it, we can create this environment that's just going to get more valuable over time. And that's what's happened. And that's to be able to look back and see some of our neighborhoods from the mid 90s to you know 2000s and, and see how they've grown and matured and grown in value. That's really gratifying. And that's why I got into the business. So I got a question and, 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 and I understand if you don't answer this question, because um, it's kind of like asking which one of your children is your favorite child. <laughs> so out of all the neighborhoods you've built and continuing to build in. Do you have a favorite? Well, you know, your your favorites are always kind of the first, right? Yeah. Because th- that's where you really pour your heart and soul. And, you know, you look back and it's like, you know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, which a lot of people go through that situation. It's like if you knew everything, you wouldn't get in the business in the first place. But um, we, we had, you know, this vision when we started the company and we, we wanted to realize that vision. And that vision was about, you know, replicating the feel of an older neighborhood, an older home. So you have this uh, emotional appeal of the elevation, the diversity of architecture, big front porches. Um, you had character. But then inside, you had everything you wanted in a new house, you know, big open spaces, tall ceilings, big closets. And, and so that was really our shtick early on was we got this great look, you know, from an architectural standpoint and, and porches that are functional, uh, along with big open spaces inside that you'd want in a new home. And the first two neighborhoods that we built in, I, I think really the ones that, that come to mind when you ask that question, that was Stonegate, which we started in 96, uh, which was just a perfect place to start building because it was, it was you know, mid-90s, kind of coming out of a recession. Uh, so Fort Worth was just primed to grow. And we had my partner, Jim Harris, who is a longtime land developer, and we're still partners today. Uh, he had uh, the opportunity to develop Stonegate. Uh, there on South Hewen, and we had 30-something lots, and so we built a model that exhibited all these qualities. It was on the corner, big front porch, you know, very lots of character, big open spaces. Uh, that we did the street trees, and so you could really see the difference between our little section and the previous sections that had been built. Uh, so that one certainly stands out. And then the, after that, we developed a neighborhood called Trinity Heights, which Trinity Heights is right there by um, Mira Vista. Uh, right off Brian Irvin, and it 
had everything. I mean, we were able to design that from the ground up, you know, from the streets. We put the little tiles, you know, in the curbs, the mosaic tiles that that say the street names. Uh, so we, we really thought of every detail to the street trees. We had a big acre park that was the centerpiece, is the centerpiece of the neighborhood. And uh, I recently drove through there and to see the street trees mature, to see kids out playing, you know, in that park uh, is really cool to see. So I would say Trinity Heights, uh, it's an 80 lot neighborhood, southwest Fort Worth. Uh, it'll only get better with age. So it's so I, I love I love doing this podcast because it reminds me of how much I thought I knew that I didn't know. And, and I don't know why this just dawned on me because I've sold a lot of homes in Stonegate and I've sold a lot of homes in Trinity Heights. And I don't know how that didn't register with me over the last couple of years that those were your homes that I was selling. And so you created something two and a half decades ago that is still an incredible high demand. Like, like you were talking about Berkeley, right? And Berkeley was built a hundred years ago and people want to live in Berkeley just for the name. And in Absolutely. these two neighborhoods, aside from even the great houses that you build, they want to live in there because of the neighborhoods. Right. So you built something that has created a legacy that's continuing to be high demand. I mean, it takes all of about two seconds to sell homes over there. As a matter of fact, over in Trinity Heights, sold uh, one to a very good friend of mine, fellow Marine. He's a fighter pilot, and he loves, just loves, loves his house. And that's then, great. And then as soon as you said that, I was just like, looking at the type of homes you built, I was like, how did I not just dawn on me that when I walked in there that, yeah, this is a village home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's really, that's really cool. And I think you answered a question that did pop up for me is when you, you keep saying we, I'm assuming just you and Jim Harris, right? Yeah. So when we actually started the company in 1996, there were three of us. Rob Sell uh, yeah. was our uh, third partner. And then Jim Harris, uh, a longtime land developer here in Fort Worth. Uh, is our other partner. And and Rob and I started a company called V-Fine Homes to build a higher-end kind of a custom product. And, and then we decided that, you know, really what Rob wanted to do was build the, the higher-end V-Fine Homes. And I love building village homes, which delivers a little more value uh, with that same character. And, and so we kind of went our separate ways from a business standpoint, but we still support each other uh, and talk to each other quite a bit. Man, that's you know, I, again, I love doing this podcast because you just, you, you start to learn. I, I think we all stay so busy in this world that even when we think we know someone until we get into a room like this and you start asking questions and really peeling back the layers of the onion to learn what is it that is that driving factor, right? Like, wow, now it all makes sense. You've been delivering this great product for two and a half decades and and it makes sense here in this. And I want to go back to, um, uh, something you said earlier on to kind of let's unpackage this is you, when you started off, cause you've seen a lot in two and a half decades in the Absolutely. housing industry, right? <laughs> the highest of the highest and the lowest of the lowest. Right. right? And, um, but you said reputation. So going back when you decided to come into this industry was reputation forward of mind or was there other things forward of mind? You know what? And, and if it was reputation, like, did you know back then, like some of the, what I'll call the um, non like there's no compromise on this. We're absolutely going to have, these are the important culture things that we're going to do. 
Yeah, you, you learn very quickly in the home building business. You know, it's kind of like golf. I'm a golfer um, and, and I love it because uh, it's it, it really uh, makes you aware of, of the human nature and you learn a lot about somebody, you know, playing golf with them because there's opportunities to maybe use that foot wedge or maybe there's opportunities to uh, put the wrong score down. In, in our industry, in the construction industry, there's lots of opportunities to cut corners. And when I first started working in Austin, uh, I remember getting a question from a um, from a client about the PSI of the concrete. I didn't, I had no idea what PSI was. You know, I just started in the industry, had no idea. And so the first thought that came into my mind, which is kind of human nature, is is just like you're the expert. You know, you should know this. You just bluff your way through it. Uh, but then the second thought, and thankfully I, I gave it a second, was you, you really should find out what this is before you answer the question. And so, you know, I, I, I said, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to find out and get back to you. And, and I think that that's, you know, what I learned in that first opportunity to work in the construction industry was you, you never want to bluff your way through it. You never want to cut the corners because it's kind of like the short-term gain, long-term pain. You, you may benefit in the short term from looking like an expert, or you may benefit from saving some money, but in the long term, people are going to come on to you and, and people are going to learn that, okay, we're going to avoid that guy because he's just puffing his chest, doesn't know what he's talking about, or we're going to avoid that company because they cut corners. So you learn very quickly that the way to long-term uh, success is is to hold the line. And it's hard. You know, when you got to spend some extra money in the short term uh, or you got to wait and, and follow up and, and make a list and make sure you, follow, you do what you say you're going to do, that's sometimes more difficult in the short term. But definitely in the long term, it pays off. So, I mean, I think definitely when we started the company and we kind of went through that core value exercise, that's number one was integrity. We got to lead with integrity. And if, if we instill anything in the guys and the people and, 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 the, and the men and the women that work in our company is, is that's what we have to start with is integrity. Because of that old adage, you know, 15 years to build your reputation, five minutes to lose it. You can lose it very quickly. Yeah. And that is uh, and, and that's that's something I tell my daughter all the time is I go, look, time is a commodity that you can't buy more of and you can't get a refund on it once spent. Reputation cannot be bought with money, but only be built with time. Absolutely. You can lose it in a matter of seconds and over a single single dollar. Yeah. And I said, so just do the right thing, even when it's painful, even when it costs you, because the benefits that come from having integrity are the marathon, right? right. You get them long lasting, but the short term feel good can have a long term painful response to it. Yes. So where do you, where did you get? All right, so that's 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 a quality that doesn't just become a thought bubble, right? All of a sudden, like, oh yeah, hey, you know, we should have integrity. Where does that integrity come from for you? Oh, it absolutely comes from my parents. You know, I mean, my 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 mom, uh, she is you know hardworking. She grew up in in Oak Cliff in Dallas, and and her mom had a beauty shop, and she worked with her. And, and she was a business owner, you know, her mom was a business owner and she knew the value of, of integrity. And, and so I think that that came from her and then my, my dad certainly, and, and his father, uh, worked in the, in the meatpacking business and worked his way up from, you know, delivering papers to, to actually running uh, a division of the Swift meatpacking company, moved all around the country. And thankfully, uh, my, my dad and, and mom ended up here in, in Fort Worth. 
but but definitely that integrity comes from them. Kind of like you talking to your daughter. You know, I had those conversations, but with my parents all the time. And, and I hope to instill that same thing in, in my kids. Um, you, you always wonder if they're listening, but I think it gets through for sure. And it did for me. So you're telling me there's hope. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> got to persevere. Because sometimes you just wonder if you sound like a broken record to your kids. I mean, you've got kids, you know, you're just like, God, man, if they can just take an ounce out of what I'm saying and deploy that, I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll be they see happy. The, you see the eyes rolling, the, the eyes going to the phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, that. There's there's we could unpackage that one for about 17 episodes. <laughs> yes, good. So you, you grew up with a, a strong family values, you know, this integrity's in you. You're doing this. You get started in 1996. What would you say is your start right right when you're starting to really gain some good momentum? What roadblocks came in front of you that you were like, man, what do I what do I really do here? Yeah, well, the, I think the biggest roadblock for us is you know we we were still and, and are relative to you know a lot of companies a, a smaller company. And so you have less resources. And so the, the challenge is how do you compete with these guys uh, with, with less resources? You know, we can't go out and, and, and buy a bunch of land. I mean, you can. You can buy more land in an afternoon than you can use in a lifetime. But that doesn't mean that's a good business decision. And, and so how do you compete? That, that's really the biggest roadblock. And, and my partner, Jim Harris, you know, his adage is if you don't have a competitive advantage, don't compete. And, and I think the key to that is – if, if you're just delivering the same thing as everybody else, then how are you going to really stand out as a business and how are you going to be profitable as a long-running business? And so that's the question that we ask ourselves all the time is, is what is our competitive advantage here and where – who do we want to be when we grow up? You know, was really the question when we started out. And, and so that was the roadblock. And, and so, you know, over time, we decided that, wow, we can go into these older neighborhoods – and, and do some redevelopment because not only do you have the, the pieces that we love, you know, the street trees, the, the, the pedestrian friendliness, those are already in place in a lot of these older areas. And, and sometimes you have vacant land in those older areas or you have um, buildings that have outlived their usefulness and need to be torn down and replaced. And so that's a great opportunity for us. So that really became part of our focus and it still is. In fact, uh, we're, we're building over in the River District right now, which is kind of the area uh, over by the river, off-white settlement, uh, by Crestwood, uh, Westworth Village. And it's a great opportunity because it's like, wow, this has been historically a bunch of RV parks. And now it's got great bones. You have the river, trails, green space, kind of the lungs of Fort Worth. And then you have great location. You're only seven minutes you know, from downtown. So, so you, you get in those older areas and, and you're able to put the product that we do, which has character, it fits in, it looks like a lot of the older houses. In fact, the best testament we had is we built some houses in Rivercrest and uh, some contractors came and they couldn't find the house because they thought it was an older house. They're like, that can't be a new house. It looks exactly like these other houses. And, and so to be able to, <laughs> to, to blend in seamlessly is always the goal. But that became a focus for us. And then in, in, in the suburbs, obviously, that's that's where the growth is. Uh, however, we can't go out, you know, buy a huge tract of land because we just don't have the resources. Uh, so we certainly, with Jim's connection, Jim Harris, he's developing land that we're buying lots in. Uh, and then we also do kind of smaller developments. So we really focus on, for example, right now, we have a, a five-acre tract out in Alito, 
that we're developing. It's called the Enclave, uh, right out by the high school in, in Alito. And we're going to create our own little, uh, you know, village neighborhood of about 22 homes in the Enclave. And so that's really our strategy. And as we've uh, learned and grown over time, uh, we've decided that's really what we want to be. We want to redevelop these great neighborhoods in Fort Worth and, and other areas uh, as Fort Worth grows. And we want to develop new neighborhoods that capture the essence uh, of older neighborhoods uh, where we can put our stamp on them and leave the ground better than we found it. Man, and, you know, over there off of White Settlement, it is really amazing what you guys have done. I mean, Chris Powers, right? I mean, there weren't a lot of people that wanted to go into trailer parks and say, <laughs> let's let's do that here. Right, right. right. And yeah, we, we I, I drove by those the, the RV park where we were actually where I live now, right. which is Rivercrest Bluffs. And I drove by that for years. And, and what captivated me was the view. Yeah. It was like, this is one of the best views in Fort Worth. And that's what I loved about Austin was the views and just the, the, the landscape. But Fort Worth has, has much of the same. Um, and, and so that was, that was the good bones that were in place. And so we bought that land in 2014. Uh, thankfully, Chesapeake got denied in their oil and gas permit because they were going to hit a gas well. On really? the site where Rivercrest Bluffs, which would have just devastated the momentum for the River District, because we feel like when we developed Rivercrest Bluffs, and then there was another neighborhood, River Heights, uh, we developed that one at the same time in 2014. That really, you know, along with the commercial that Chris Powers did, uh, created momentum in the River District. And I can remember sitting in a meeting with Chris, and and uh, the night before, I was asking my wife, I was like, you know, what are we what are we going to name? this area, you know, it's got the river and, and we, we needed something kind of to brand it with. And she's like river district. And so the next morning I, I showed up at this meeting with Chris and he's like, Hey, what do you think about the river district? <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, it's Funny like ordained. you should say that. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I can't remember what year that was, but, uh, it was a natural fit. And so that, that's been fun to see that come together. Uh, like I said, I live over there. Uh, I walk on the trail every day. And, and love having that amenity. And uh, it's really underutilized, although I'm seeing in this pandemic a lot more use uh, of those trails, which is great. Well, Mark Shelton lives over there. Yeah. And Mark's actually going to come in for a recording. And uh, and I've been all over him to get him. And I finally dragging him in here, kicking and screaming. And I want to tell you, so I, I have a saying, everything that's a blessing is a curse and everything that's a curse is a blessing. So your blessing of creating a neighborhood that is so attractive that you yourself live in it, and so does Mark. The curse for me is that normally Mark would get bored every two years and I would sell him another house. <laughs> Where now, because Mark and Sarah are incredibly close friends for Laura and I. As a matter of fact, we, we try to at least once a month go to dinner. And so I was like, hey, man, how long are you going to live here before you get bored and I can make some more money off of you selling your house? <laughs> he said, this was the final one. That's awesome. Well, you know, I went through the same thing with my wife. She was a little hesitant to live over there. And now that we're there, she's like, I don't ever want to leave. No. And, you know, I'm, as a home yeah. builder, it's the same thing. It's like, we got to move every two years. But uh, I think we're going to be there for a while. And I remember in River Heights, our, our first customer, who's someone you should consider coming on here, is Doug Renfro um, of Mrs. Renfro's Salsa. And, and, and Doug came to me. He lived in the mid-cities in Keller area. He's like, I really want to be, you know, in Fort Worth closer. I was like, do I have the opportunity for you? But it was the same thing. I mean, it was, 
uh, a little bit sketchy in, in some respects back in 2014, you know, 15. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so he kind of took a little bit of a leap of faith, but he's the same way now. He's always sending me pictures of the sunset, saying how much he loves living over in River Heights. So that's one, you know, you asked earlier about neighborhoods that we're proud of. That, that's one that we're really proud of because I think it's going to only grow in, in value uh, over time in the same way as the area around it develops. Yeah. Well, speaking of value, what is going on with the real estate industry? So, as you get my emails each week, as yeah. I do a snapshot, and for the audience, uh, and of course, anybody in the audience, if they ever want to get on our email list that drops every Tuesday to demonstrate that, hey, this is the newest, latest episode that dropped. I put in a book of the week that I've read, a headline of the week that just kind of like stirs the fires of things like what I really don't care what people think. One side they lay on, I just wanted to think, right? Absolutely. And then I put a snapshot is what folks don't realize is DFW Metroplex is 10,000 square miles in size. And so if you draw a line down the center of DFW Airport, I track everything to the west all the way back to 2006 Okay, of all the homes that have sold, whether it was for a dollar to a hundred million dollars, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And this last year in 2020, in a post-pandemic riding, protesting election year trifecta, and as a friend of mine said, don't forget the, don't forget the fires and hurricanes that occurred also, yeah. is... We were three, I believe the number that I put out Tuesday, and I'll have to fact check myself, was we were 312 units shy of being the record-breaking home sales of 2020 compared to any other year in history of West DFW. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Well, when this first hit in March – I had no idea that would be the case, <laughs> and I don't think anybody did. <laughs> no. You know, you look at the stock market, and and you, you know, it's just human nature. You, you know, we let our yeah. emotions take over. Things usually aren't as bad as you think they are, and they're sometimes maybe not as good as you think they are. But but at the at the end of the day, back in March, it's like the world's going to end. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And and my, my first reaction was, we got to just move inventory. You know, we we can't sit on this inventory. And I remember uh, selling a house actually to my wife's cousin. And uh, we were super motivated to sell it. She got a great deal. Uh, but after that sale went through, I was like, hmm, you know, traffic is actually pretty good. And and uh, there seems to be pretty good demand. So let's let's not fire sale anymore. Let's just see what happens. And uh, <laughs> that's what happened is, yeah. is one of the best years in the real estate industry of history uh, for this area, which is really, really hard to believe. And I think what's driving it obviously is number one, I think the resilience, uh, of, of the economy here in Dallas, Fort Worth, um, which, I mean, it's, it's a great story. It's, it's a story about Texas It's a story about North Texas and it's a story about, you know, men and women that, uh, are resilient, that are able to bounce back after dealing with challenges and persevere. And, you know, people, adjusted very quickly. I mean, you think about people, all of a sudden, you know, you're working in an office, now you're working from home. Your kids are going to school, now they're running from home. All the adjustments that have to happen for that to work, you know, for people to carry on, for kids to continue to learn, for people to to continue to earn, uh, there's a huge adjustment. So that speaks to the resilience, you know, of of our, the people of Texas and the people here in, in Fort Worth and Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, but low interest rates, I mean, obviously people are taking advantage of great rates, you know, mid twos, uh, is, is, is a rate people are getting these days. 
And that's just amazing from what it was just a few years ago. So, so that's really helping things. And, and then obviously, you know, people are having to do those adjustments, make those adjustments. And so part of the result of that is their need to adjust where they live. You know, they need to study. They need a home office. They need an extra bedroom for a parent that's living at home. And so that's driving, you know, a lot of real estate sales. Uh, I'm sure, you know, that you're seeing uh, the demand that we're seeing as well. Uh, we have a new neighborhood called the Overlook. And it's in northwest uh, Fort Worth, right off of 820 in Quebec, just 10 minutes, you know, from the west side of Fort Worth, uh, just one minute off of 820, 140 lots. And we have had huge interest in this neighborhood. We're just now kicking it off. Um, and and I think, obviously, you know, what's driving that interest is people are saying, look, I, I, I've got this house. It's a great house, but I need X, Y, and Z. And so all of our houses obviously have home offices. They've got, um, you know, extra bedrooms. And that's what's driving a lot of interest in the overlook uh, that we have and and in new projects that we have around Fort Worth. So let's go back to March of 2020. Pandemic's hitting. And I, I often say that people were in one of three categories right of either they were their companies were super healthy and they knew they were going to be bullish on coming out of this on the on the right end of it you had people on the not so fortunate side of it that were like man i'm going to lose my company over it quite frankly i think a lot of those they were probably at risk of losing it long before the pandemic and then the pandemic just made the ultimate decision for them and then you had uh folks like myself and my team where we were in the middle of, there was a lot of new things that we'd been wanting to really execute on. And it was either we didn't have the time, the money, the resources, or people thought we were crazy. Now people are like, well, you got nothing to lose to try it now. Right. (laughs) That allowed us to just persevere where not only did 2020 become the best year for me and my team, 2021 is already shaped up that we will do almost we should do if not right at just over half of the sales that we did last year in the first quarter of this year wow yeah and and so we had that opportunity to go okay these are the things we want to do for a long time and and there's no better opportunity to do it now yeah so when march hits and everything's happening and as we saw coming out of it over the next couple of months, people working from home. Uh, do you do you have any visions of like, hey, wait a minute, we may even change? I don't, I don't know whether it be floor plans or some sort of extra amenities inside your houses going forward, based on what we saw coming out of the pandemic. Oh, absolutely, and, and that's one thing. You know, when I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the challenges of of uh, running a business is how do you compete with the big boys? One of the benefits is as a smaller company, you can move faster. And, and you know, with the pandemic hitting, that's certainly the case. You know, the big guys, uh, they're national, a lot of the national companies we build out in Walsh, uh, out in West Fort Worth. And um, we're the only, you know, local builder with a model out there. And and so we, we see a lot of people that go into, you know, the big builders uh, models and then come into our models. And we're able to shift very quickly. And so we, we did. We, we made the decision that, okay, we're going to tweak some plans. We're, we're going to introduce some new plans. And we're going to also, um, you know, meet people wherever they want to be, whether it be virtually 
And we had tons, you know, we still have tons of Zoom, you know, sales calls, sales meetings, uh, virtual drive-throughs, virtual walkthroughs. Um, but what's amazing, and this, again, just speaks to the resilience of the people of North Texas, uh, I would say in, in, in pretty much every case, we, we had people that wanted to meet. And, and then when the people that we had under construction that we had houses sold for, that we were worried about possibly losing, you know, with the pandemic, uh, they stepped up. And, and we're not concerned about the short-term issues and saw the long-term and uh, followed through with their purchases. So de- most definitely we adjusted um, and we continue you know, to adjust to today. And I think the pace of change, you know, you see a lot of trends and we talked about this earlier. You see a lot of trends that were happening, that were starting to happen, uh, just like the whole you know, Netflix uh, phenomenon. You know, that was obviously already happening. But then the pandemic hits and it just accelerates the pace of change. And uh, you have to adjust. You have to see that for what it is and make those changes uh, or die, really. I mean, you, you can't just sit back and think you're going to do business the same way that you've always done it. Um, and so just like you took advantage of that opportunity to make some changes, to, to see opportunities for growth as opposed to sticking your head in the sand, um, you stick your head in the sand and let events control you. Well, they are. <laughs> they are going to control you. However, if you see what's happening, look around and say, OK, we've got to adjust. We've got to make these changes. Uh, we're going to compel events to work in our favor. Uh, that's what you have to do as, as a business. Obviously, in some cases, like back in the Great Recession in 2008, it seems like every, every lever we pulled wasn't going to do anything, uh, but we persevered. Um, and that's what you have to do in these times, too. So. Let's go back to 2008, right? So the, the, the interesting thing about being a business owner and you, it, I believe you have people that fall into three categories. Those that never, ever, ever would want to be a business owner, right? They're, just, they're okay with being an employee. Then you have the entrepreneur spirit versus the entrepreneur courage. The entrepreneur spirit is people want to go do it. <laughs> right. But they either they either don't have the capability or they don't have the desire to deal with the things that come along with it or see they don't have either one of those. And then the mm-hmm. entrepreneur courage, which is man, um 2008's a perfect example is it hits and like you said doesn't matter what lever you're pulling on, the amount of stress, the amount of pain that you're you're living in during that time what got you through to the other side because there was a lot of people that did not survive that, right? right? That, right. that came out on the other side. And I hear words like perseverance, but to me, there's a word perseverance is just a very ambiguous word that says, yeah, I'm going to persevere. There, there's usually when you peel back the layers a lot more like what, what was going through, what was keeping you up at night to say, we are going to see the other side of this. Well, keeping me up at night was cash. <laughs> <laughs> Where, where are we going to get it to pay the bills? You know, cash is king in any small business. So that, that's what was keeping me up at night. But, uh, you know, one thing that kept me through is that my peer group, I'm in a, a Builder 20 group that is a, a group of about 20 national builders that we, we don't compete, uh, but we share ideas. And it's called the Builder 20 program. And obviously it's, it's you know, iron sharpens iron. And, and you get around guys that have been through things and that have experience uh, they're they're going to help you through it, um, if only just to build you up. Uh, and I remember Jim Brennan, who's our builder in St. Louis, he said, you know, when you're riding through hell, you just keep riding. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that speaks to perseverance. Uh, on the courage side, I mean, I think that, you know, we all uh, have fears and I think courage is the ability to, to go ahead and take action, take risk in spite of those fears, right? You know, go ahead and, and take that step. Uh, that's courage. And, and I think that just in any crisis, that's what you have to do. You have to act and you can't sit back and wait for things to happen to you. One of the blessings that we had is a great group of people. And, and I'll, I'll outline or, or, or highlight one person in our organization, uh, Janet Bishop, who is our director of sales today. Her first day of work was July 1st, 2008. <laughs> and, and anybody that, that remembers those dark days of, you know, July through October 2008 will remember uh, the horror stories that came out. I mean, stock market's tanking, uh, home sales are tanking, uh, things are not going well. But Janet didn't know the difference. She came from a totally different industry. Her background is being a principal uh, and a teacher. And, and so she came in uh, with just enthusiasm and she started selling immediately uh, in, in the face of all those headwinds. And, and so having people like that, that, that were able to succeed personally and, and drive success for the company was what helped us through it. Yeah, and I and I always love hearing about having great people. Um, you know, being a United States Marine, being a Fort Worth police officer, having the team that I have now, which everybody on my team is way smarter and way better than I am, right? Is that is so key in any business, right? Is having the right people, not just having the right people to help you persevere through things and, you know, when the getting is good and even when it's not, but just how much damage a single toxic employee can cost. Right. Right. And, and it, it might be that they're not a bad person. They just do bad. Their, their behaviors are bad. Right. Right. I mean, I think, you know, Jim Collins and, and good to great, he talks about the right people and in the right seats and uh, to me, that is the biggest key for any organization. And as a small company, you know, as, as I've uh, matured, you, you learn what your strengths are and what your limitations are. And uh, I have a lot of limitations. Um, <laughs> you and me but, both. <laughs> but, but, uh, but perseverance is not, it's a strength. And, and so you have to persevere, but you also have to see that, okay, how can I complement, you know, my weaknesses with people that are smarter than me in, in these various aspects uh, and that's key for a small business. And as Jim Collins says, it's also key to make sure that people are in the right seats. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've been guilty of maybe not, you know, making making sure that's happening. You learn over time, you know, how do we uh, understand what are the strengths? And we use a lot of, uh, you know, tools now, strengths finders and, 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 and different um, tests that help understand, you know, the personalities that we're working with. And that just helps not only uh, as, a, as a leader to understand the personalities and the strengths and weaknesses of people you're working with, but also in interactions. You know, what's kind of what's your love language is, is my wife, Stephanie. She always talks about you have to understand people's love language. You have to understand what motivates them. And, and that's an important lesson to learn in, in dealing with people and employees is, is what motivates them and, and what their strengths are for sure. Which is funny because it's not always money. It's not always money. Yeah, actually, in, in in my experience is money is generally quite a few levels down the list. Right. 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 And so being able to deliver, we, we do, we utilize the same thing. 
As a matter of fact, we use a system called Culture Index, mm. and it takes like six to ten. I can't believe I haven't sent this to you yet. If I, I, I sent that to you, I don't know if you have. I have to check it out. I'll have to. I'll have to send it to you. So anyhow, it's the quickest survey that you can take to uh, as long as somebody answers it with can, candor and integrity, it will demonstrate how they process information. Mm-hmm. So it's not mm-hmm. really a personality test. It's not mm-hmm. an ethics test, morality test, intelligence test. It just shows how you process information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that became incredibly useful for us because now we make all clients take it. Hmm. And, and when they take it, the reason we ask them to take it is because it allows us to present information that they best process it. That's a great idea. So, for example, my wife and I have completely different cultural indexes. And so an example would be if you're dealing with someone who processes information like me, the last thing you want to do is give me a bunch of details, (laughs) right? Give it to me in three bullet points. Matter of fact, the last thing you want to do is show me a bunch of properties. Let me tell you the rough target of what I'm looking to hit and only show me those. Right. 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 And then the thing about someone that processes information like me is I'm going to make a decision before you finish your sentence. So that is one way to present information. Now, my wife, on the other hand. She wants time to think about it. Mm-hmm. She wants every detail, A through Z. She mm-hmm. wants every document. She wants to make sure the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, and she's going to be historically based thought process. So those are just two examples of some of the results that you get out of this. So that's two different ways of presenting information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what that's helped us do is create this level of trust with our clients because Confusion creates fear. Fear doesn't get anything done. Mm-hmm. Clarity creates agreement. Agreement establishes trust. And we believe trust is a currency of business, not money. Mm-hmm. And when you cut out all that time, because that's one of the things that we have a lack. Well, besides that three-month window in the earlier part of this year, is you don't have a lot of time. So when you reduce the amount of time you're spending on going through things, because the person on the other side is understanding and processing it, we're now they're not asking questions for clarity because I already have the clarity. They're asking better questions to go, well, what about this avenue, this avenue that's more productive for them sure, has allowed us to just double our business year after year since we've instituted this, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and then now we get to be able to talk to people the way that they prefer to be communicated mm-hmm. with. So I, I literally put it up there as like, you can learn to speak uh, hundreds of different languages now what we're doing is we're learning to speak thousands of languages because now we can understand each person's language to go, here's the information. And when they ask a question, we're more likely to be able to go, okay, are they asking a question because they're looking for clarity? Or are they asking a question going back to, wait a minute, they're asking something we don't know that we need to go dive into. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's the great thing about today's present world is we have all these tools and devices that we can use to be better for our clients, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's mm-hmm. what we want. We want, well, this was also, it was really, it, it was funny and interesting comment you made uh, uh, earlier on here today was, you know, the customer's always right, which yes, but it doesn't, the customer can always be right, but still be a pain in the ass, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've never experienced that. <laughs> no, not once, right? But what we found was once we were able to communicate with them the way they preferred to be communicated with, mm-hmm. they became much less of a pain in the ass and some not even a pain in the ass at all. Right. Because sometimes it's just, they want to be listened to. Right. They just, 
communication is key. And that's the dialogue that I think that this world misses today, especially with social media. Right. People want to say their opinions on something. They really don't want a response with it. They don't want a dialogue. <laughs> so it has allowed us to continue to, to create that dialogue with our, with our clients where now, instead of only being able to work with one type of client that's going to be understanding of what we do, we can work with all kinds of different clients as long as they're willing to participate in our process. Mm-hmm. Because we've also turned down clients in 2020. We turned down over $4 million worth of production potential yeah. in 2020, yeah, which was really it's hard. Fit. It's hard, but sometimes it's, it's not a good fit. Because I was like, look, if you're not willing to follow our process. Now, even with that $4 million, I had two incidents where I decided to deviate. I said, nope, we're going to deviate on these two incidents. One turned out so bad that we had to sever the relationship with the client. And the other one, we drug across the line, kicking and screaming because it was exactly what they were looking for. But we skipped the process on those two and they were incredibly painful. Right. So I have on my team now, which is called the ceasefire effect. Uh, So in the Marine Corps or even in the PD, anytime you're on a range, there's no matter from the person on the lowest of the, of the totem pole to the highest of the totem pole. If they see an unsafe event, they can scream cease fire and then everybody down the line screams cease fire and you stop firing. So that way nobody gets shot. Mm-hmm. Well, we now have that in our company <laughs> that if <laughs> I decide to deviate from the process, anybody can scream a ceasefire oh, so, no matter what level it is to go, whoa. Yeah, and so, then I can stop and go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. I mean, sometimes as leaders, you, you know, your strength maybe is be creativity, problem solving, but sometimes that creativity can get you in trouble and, and you need to be pulled back. So definitely have, have seen that. So that's a great uh, tool. Oh, man. Ceasefire. I and that one. I had, I had an executive coach that I used for two years. We had our last sessions in, uh, um, in December and, uh, and I had just, I'd gotten what I needed to get out and it was really hard. It was almost like a breakup, right? Cause I didn't want to leave them, but I was like, sure. I feel like, you know, I don't want to waste your time and you don't want to waste my time. Yeah. And I'm yeah. at that point that I'm, ready to go execute all the things learned. Or as I like to joke around paying someone 30 grand a year to tell you all the stuff your wife will tell you for free. (laughs) And, but one of the things I definitely learned from him was getting out of my own way for the progress of my company, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is really hard because ego jumps in and, you know, and I I don't care who you are from priest to president. Everybody's got some ego that jumps in and you're like, but this is mine. (laughs) Right, Right. But then when you learn to get out of the way of it, you're like, why didn't I do that sooner? Yeah. I'm reading a book on uh, what's on Jim Baker, chief of staff for Ronald Reagan, but it talks a lot about Ronald Reagan. <laughs> you know, one of the th- reasons he was so great was he understood that, you know, he understood that he was not a detail guy and he was able to get people like Jim Baker to take care of those details. And obviously it led to a lot of success. Yeah, for absolutely. His, his presidency. So uh-huh. it's a great lesson there for sure. Absolutely. So now we're living in this, post-pandemic supply interruption, supply chain interruption world. Is that, a, is that affecting you in, in, in building homes? Yes. I mean, obviously, uh, with the great demand, uh, we've also seen challenges. And one of the biggest challenges is lumber. Um, you know, there, there's two things at work here. You have great demand, you know, like you mentioned, one of the better real estate markets uh, in history. And that, that applies to new homes as well. Uh, but then on the supply side, uh, the pandemic and, and uh, the, the COVID outbreaks have affected the mills and, and getting the supply of the material out the door. And, and so you look at uh, the local lumber yards and the inventories are vastly depleted. Things are moving out the door as soon as they get them. And the costs have doubled uh, since the beginning of the year. 
and they continue to go up. So that's a big headwind is, is how do you deal with not only getting material, but how do you deal with these monthly you know, price increases on lumber? And it's not just lumber. We're seeing it in other areas as well. Um, you know, our Debbie, who, who works in our selections, it's like one week before we get deliveries, we're getting notifications that, okay, this light's not available. This tile's not available. We have to reselect this. And so she's having to scramble around, meet with our clients, look at substitutes, make, you know, reselections of stuff that we can get that may be close to what they originally selected. But that puts a lot of stress, you know, on the organization uh, uh, throughout the organization. I mean, clients are a little bit stressed because they're having to reselect. Uh, you know, Debbie's obviously having to work harder. Our builders are having to try to keep a schedule with with all the substitutions. Uh, so it just creates a lot of extra work. Um, and so we're seeing um, a lot of interruptions, mainly in light fixtures, tile, hardware, um, and the biggest is lumber. So what are, what are y'all doing to overcome those challenges? Yeah, so obviously you have to act, right? You have to raise prices in some cases. And I think that you're going to see this year uh, some some pretty healthy increases, which does create a little urgency in the short term because if you want to miss – you want to beat those price increases, you know, now's the time to buy. But with the low interest rates, you know, that helps absorb some of those price increases. Um, and I think rates are going to stay low. So that's that's a benefit, at least for the short term. Um, but but we have to raise prices if, if we're going to be paying – you know, we're paying double. Lumber is our biggest expense in a house. And now it's doubled since the beginning of the year. And so we obviously can't absorb that and continue as a company. So price increases is one thing we have to do. And we have to figure out how to uh, implement those in, in a way that doesn't disrupt uh, sales too bad, uh, while at the same time protecting us as a company. Um, but there's also other things that we can do. I mean, we, we can just communicate effectively with our vendors and, and make sure that they have the stuff in time. So we try to get as much lead time as possible. And uh, that's that's a key component is just scheduling and and uh, ordering material uh, with more lead time. And we've pretty much doubled all of our lead times on our schedules to try to accommodate that. So what kind of response are you getting from the consumer out there? Are they are they understanding the complexity of this or are you finding a lot of resistance or Hey, no, I'm going to do it because I don't have much of a choice because there's literally nothing else to buy. <laughs> right. No, I mean, I think I think we're definitely it speaks back to that resilience. Uh, our customers have been great. I mean, they understand the situation. I mean, everybody's dealing with it. I mean, not only in construction. I mean, you're dealing with it in education. You're dealing with it in, in every industry. And so everybody's having to adjust, make sacrifices. And, and so they understand. And at the end of the day, you know, if they see that we're trying to do our best, you know, with, with the situation, circumstances that we've been given, um, then they respect that. So we, we haven't had any issues with, with clients um, uh, about that. And, and our vendors have done a good job of offering substitutes that are pretty close um, to, to what was originally selected. And we, you know, like our, on the tile side, you know, maybe it doesn't have quite as much uh, uh, gr gray flex, but it's still substantially what you selected. You know, we can make that work. So, and, and our clients have been happy with that. Yeah. And I think that comes back to like what you said is having a clear communication and setting expectations is so for us, we have a, a very good, like, another thing I'll have to say is business gets complicated when you complicate it, right? So we try to simplify things. Uh, I have a theory. Do you remember the old Jeff Foxworthy show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I try stuff. to make, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Not because I'm questioning anybody's intelligence. It's I want to simplify things because things shouldn't be complicated. 
But things have been so complicated, built up to justify jobs or whatever else for so long that that hurdle to get people to buy into a process that is much simpler is that's the hard part, right? Right. right. Is building that to go, look, trust our process. And one of our processes is, like I said, is we do the culture index. Then we send a Zoom link because normally when someone gets turned to a real estate team, it's, well, you're going to get poured out to whoever's available that's going to go do this. You get our entire team, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows how to do everybody's job, but they specialize in a portion Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the the supporting you as a team. And and so we want everybody to see them face-to-face. So the pandemic was actually very beneficial to us because now more people are willing to jump on a Zoom call Mm -hmm. and go, Mm -hmm. look, we want you to jump on a Zoom call because you might not physically meet everybody Mm -hmm. that's going to be serving you, Mm -hmm. but we want you to see the face. We want you to know who they are because when they're doing their portion to serve you, you at least can put a face to the name and understand it. Hey, Mm -hmm. you know, clearing up, no confusion. We're making that clarity, right? Mm -hmm. And, but it also allows us on that Zoom call to set expectations, Mm -hmm. to say, Mm -hmm. look, you're, you're buying in an area that has been upside down on inventory for over seven years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and for the audience to understand what a balanced inventory is, six months of inventory. Right. Yeah. We are so tight on inventory right now. Yeah. Anything over six months, it becomes a buyer's market. Mm -hmm. Anything under six months becomes a seller's market. Mm -hmm. I think right now we're running with like what a month and a half, maybe two months of inventory. Yeah. Right. So people are like, well, I don't want to overpay for a house. Well, that's the wrong way to look at it. You're not that you're overpaying for a house. It's just you want to buy today or you're going to pay 5 to 10% more for this same exact house a year from now. That's absolutely right. Right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. do you want to pay this today or you want to pay this tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And so we're setting those expectations of like, and you're operating with a limited, it's such a limited. I mean, think about this. Half of DFW Metroplex that I track the sales through, right? I also track what is available to purchase. Mm-hmm. And 5,000 or, or yeah, 5,000 square miles and the only amount of houses from $1 to million dollar houses, I think yesterday's number was there's only like 2,700 available units to buy. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And especially yeah. in the lower price points, I mean, you get under uh, 350,000 and it is so tight. And that's why we're so excited about our Overlook project that I mentioned earlier. You know, it's 143 lots. All of them priced, you know, in that two fifty to three seventy five range, and so we really think that's going to be a big hit uh, for us. And 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 the other thing is, you know, on, on the like you mentioned that how tight the supply is. Um, what's happening is built at least on the builder side. You know, even even with some of the price increases, these houses have sold. Okay, mm-hmm. and so those builders have to replenish those lots, right? Well, the problem is it takes typically two to three, sometimes four years, you know, to take a piece of vacant ground and turn it into lots, right? And and so that's, I mentioned lumber as a critical resource. Lots is the critical resource. Obviously, without land, lots, you can't build houses. And so with all the success builders have had, they're running out of lots. And so there's going to be a Darth, a lack of supply of new lots coming in. So what's that going to do to prices? You know, lumber, yes, that, that increase is going to drive some price increases. But once lots start being in short supply, those prices go up. 
that's going to raise prices significantly. So, you know, you look at typical ratio is four to five to one. So, so basically, you know, if the, if the lot price is a hundred thousand, the house price is going to be four to 500,000. Okay. I mean, the house, house price is four to five times what the lot cost. So if that lot goes up to 120,000, your house just went up a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So that, that, that lot shortage, which I think is coming for Dallas Fort Worth, it's already here for Austin um, it is going to really drive prices up. It's a challenge we have to deal with. We're going to have to work harder, you know, to find lots, deliver those lots as a builder. Um, but as as clients, uh, you know, look for houses, as DFW continues to grow, that's going to be a, a challenge and prices are going to go up in the short term. But the great news is, you know, we're, we're a creative industry. Uh, we're a hardworking industry and, and we're going to figure out ways to deliver houses for people that want them. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, again, Mark Shelton, I was telling you, and I, that's what I wanted him to come in and talk about because that's what he does, right? Mm-hmm. He does a lot of development and then sells them to builders. Yeah, yeah. And he pinged me a couple of months ago, and there's particular areas that he focuses on, actually, with, with the builders that he has that he builds with. And he said, look, man, I need you to find me 100 acres. And by the way, we're not talking right here in the center of Fort Worth. We're talking in a tertiary market. right. I can't even find it in the tertiary market. Yeah. Isn't like, that crazy? I mean, we're talking about the outside of the inside and still can't find it. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mark, Mark is going to know a lot more about that, but I think he'll yeah. tell you that that very same thing of how difficult it is to, to find lots. Yeah. And it's, and it's almost, it's almost one of those things where you've got to forecast years down the road of where an area is going to migrate to. Right. Because if you don't capture that land now to get the lots, as you said, what do you do? What use is the house if you can't find right. a piece of dirt? To Absolutely. Put it on? And the one strategy we're also looking at is is the infill. Is yeah. like the river district we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know that that's an area that if we can redevelop and deliver some more lots, you know, kind of turn uh, lemons into lemonade. So the, these these lots have been sitting there, and maybe it's it's a little bit passed over or it has has uh, you know had RV parks or had houses torn down. You have a lot of vacant lots over in the river district. Well, that's opportunity to build new, and so that's a way to deliver you know some new lots and and find and some new inventory uh, that, that we do that, that plays to our strengths uh, for sure. So we're excited about that. So what do you think that does over there where you're at? Which, by the way, the location is absolutely key. I mean, you're minutes from downtown. You have incredible views. You still have access to all the infrastructure of grocery stores and everything else that you need. Right. Is, you know, River Oaks, which is a little small municipality that is butted up next to Fort Worth for Years and years oh, and yeah. years. Some great restaurants and uh, shops over there. We oh, we always go yeah. to Nish. I don't know if you've ever been uh, to Nish. I have not. Okay, I'm going to put a plug in for Nish. Nish. Uh, my, my wife has has gotten me on Nish, which uh, I think it's in a converted Brahms over in River Oaks, just uh, just east of Roberts Cutoff. But a great spot. Is it? Well, I'm going to have to go try that because I love trying places that I've never <laughs> eaten before. Yeah. But River Oaks, yeah, yeah. is a spot that's ripe for growth for sure. Right. And and, and traditionally, I mean, when you go back to Decades and decades ago, when the the JRB was Carswell Air Force Base, that's where a lot of the military folks lived right. over there because it was the affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And then now, do you foresee River Oaks becoming opportunity areas where going in and buying houses and scraping houses and building 
you know, these new, because those are older homes that right. are just a lot of them not in real, real good shape. Oh, absolutely. I think River Oak's going to benefit. I mean, the, the Joint Reserve Base is still a big, big employer. Yeah. Uh, so that drives a lot of growth. Uh, there's great trees over there, some pretty good sized lots, which are hard to find. Uh, so I think River Oaks is, is definitely going to benefit in there. And the school district, they've, they've really spent a lot of time and effort to improve that school district. So I think it is a, a great uh, opportunity for the short term for growth for both teardowns and for remodels, new homes. So well. in this post-pandemic world, too, is that I, one of the things we have seen is schools are definitely becoming more important, right? School and education has always been important, but we're really getting um, – uh, now when people say, hey, my, the, my, my, the things I'm not willing to compromise on, school district was never at the top of the list for most people. You know, they were because they would go, well, I mean, if worse comes to worse, I'll just put my kid in private school or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now that public education system with good school districts is really like a Lido. Right. right. I mean, right. Well, that's okay. one of the big drivers of Walsh is, yeah. that, you know, there's an elementary school in the neighborhood. Yeah. And it's amazing place. Uh, and, and so that's driven, you know, a lot of growth out in Walsh. People can walk their kids to school. They've dealt with this, you know, pandemic uh, as opposed to making a bunch of COVID excuses. I mean, certainly safety has to come first, but uh, our kids have to learn as well. And so navigating that and seeing schools like Alito that have navigated it well is is great to see. Yeah. And, I, and I'm curious what kind of pressure this will put on Fort Worth ISD, right? Fort Worth ISD is not a bad school district for a very large city, but I can see where the pressure from the smaller municipalities that can't grow as quick with their school districts and private schools just going, hey, I, we would love to take your money and your kid and put it in a school, but we don't have any availability is what kind of pressure that will put on the larger ISDs to go, look, I know it's really, the bigger you are as a machine, like you said, right? The mm-hmm. harder it is to be more agile and move. Mm-hmm. But I do see where there's going to be even more increased pressure on Fort Worth ISD to go, look, you're going to have to do more. You're going to have to do something because if not, then the, just based on what we're seeing, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying Fort Worth ISD is a bad bad school at all. I'm just mm-hmm. saying the demand, what we're seeing from the clients is the tertiary market. So for example, Boyd, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new superintendent down there is one of our clients mm-hmm. who came mm-hmm. from Burleson because mm-hmm. Boyd, before the pandemic even hit, was like, look, we're seeing migration starting to flow out here because new building, new everything else. Right. But we need to get our school district where it needs to be. So they hired an incredible superintendent who's one of our clients that was out there to help get the school up to par mm-hmm. and even beyond par, where if other ISDs are doing that, then the bigger ISDs had best jump on it. Well, absolutely. I mean, as you know, in real estate, I mean, uh, school district is one of the number one uh, drivers of value uh, and, and demand. And, and so if Boyd or Lido or other places, you know, have the perception of a higher uh, level, higher quality of, of school, then that's where people are going to migrate. I mean, because your property taxes, you know, you're going to pay with your property taxes for that school and if if Fort Worth uh, or any school district um, it can't compete, they're going to lose value. And so for yeah. for sure, for Fort Worth to thrive into the future, uh, our schools have to thrive. Uh, our employee base, you know, as far as skills uh, of our of our population uh, has to have to thrive. Um, and, and I think that you know we we are well suited to do that. But it doesn't just happen. 
uh, again, you ha- it goes back to you have to compel events to happen. And so the leadership for Fort Worth, for Fort Worth schools, uh, we have to compel those events to make sure that we have great value for people moving here from other places, which is happening with great abundance right now. We have to have uh, a great workforce that can handle all the new work that's coming, coming to Fort Worth from other places. So it doesn't just happen overnight, and uh, we're excited to be a part of that here in the Fort Worth area. You know, I grew up in Fort Worth. Uh, I lived in Austin for about eight years, but uh, I plan to be here for a long time and uh, love this city and, and want to see it thrive. Yeah. And I, and I, and you know, what's really funny is, so I've done a lot of traveling my entire life, you know, from time in the Marine Corps to even after the Marine Corps. And then I threw, I think pretty close to a hundred thousand miles in the air prior the year prior to the pandemic, which was yes, some luxury travel, but a lot of that was traveling around interviewing agents all over the globe because mm-hmm. a large part of our business is referring people like, right. You know, we, we, when somebody wants to buy or sell real estate somewhere outside of the the metroplex, we want to make sure that they get the right person. So traveling around and seeing all this, I was also watching. Well, one of the point I was going to say is, you're starting to see Fort Worth become a part of the conversation. Because you say, "Yeah, I'm from Fort Worth," and they're like, "Where's that?" And you're like, "It's next to Dallas." Oh, I know where Dallas is, right? Right. And then now, you know, people are like, "Oh, Fort Worth." We now we've heard of Fort Worth. I call it the biggest small town you've ever been in in your life, right? We're almost at a million people in a population inside the actual Fort Worth city limits. Right, right. And the migration of people coming here, especially now in the current conditions that we're at, is it's really speeding up. Right. There's there's a, a number of our clients that are coming in from out of town. You bet. And uh, offer. And when it when it you know, so when we're having that Zoom call and it's an out of town client moving here. You know, one of the things we want to learn is like, do you want a new construction home or are you looking for something that's already there? And a lot of times this is based on availability for speed of mm-hmm. when they're moving here. Right. But when they have, you know, like, no, we'd like to look at new construction. And of course, then you have to go, OK, what price points are we in? Because there's mm-hmm. certain builders like yourself that are not going to be down in the $200,000 range. Actually, I don't even know that you could buy a house for two hundred new construction for 200000 but one thing I can say is when somebody comes to the area and, and they tell us for price point of new construction, we go, you have to look at village homes. Absolutely. You have to, not just because it's a great house, not because it's a great neighborhood, but it is because of the reputation of when you get a village home, you're, you're, it's, it's going to happen. So um, a friend of mine, who's a two-time gold medalist that was on our second episode, Vincent Hancock, it, it, was, it was a no-brainer. When he was looking at the different builders out there and he was like, I, I, I just got to say the village, the village homes speak to me and my wife and my family. And so they bought a village home and are moved in. And yeah. now I think they're putting in a swimming pool where before if somebody was going to buy a pool, I was like, well, it's a sunk cost. Now I'm like, well, I actually probably add a lot of value. <laughs> we're seeing, to we're seeing a, lot, a lot of pools. <laughs> well, you know, Vincent, we think made a, a great decision and, you know, we're geared up to take care of our clients. Like I mentioned earlier, our whole team yeah. is focused on, you know, shifting gears, doing whatever we got to do to deal with the pandemic while also taking care of our clients first and foremost. And, and you know, th- this new project, uh, Overlook, is is emblematic of, of what we do, which is take a piece of, of land and, and really make it better than we found it and put the bones in place to make sure that it grows in value year after year. And the exciting thing that's kind of different and new for us for Overlook is the price point. We're able to, to deliver a value at starting at 250000 in Overlook, uh, that we haven't really been able to get to before. And it's because we took it from soup to nuts. We, we bought the land 
and have developed it from scratch. And so not only does that allow us to give a little more value to our clients, but it allows us to control the neighborhood. Like I mentioned with Trinity Heights, it allows us to put the street trees in, the landscaping um, and, and the houses, the yards that will really uh, combine to make a great neighborhood going into the future. So that, those are the kind of things that we love to do. And, and we can't wait to uh, to 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 showcase uh, Overlook. Our models will be opening in uh, March, April timeframe. You know, hearing this, it, you know, I'm always looking for ways to explain things to people without just being, this is the normal. And what I've gotten out of this conversation is really, you're not in the home building business. You're in the family business. Absolutely. You're you're in the build a neighborhood business. When we, when we start playing a neighborhood, what I start thinking about is what are those spontaneous interactions that are going to happen? You know, and, and, and so where do the mailboxes need to go and, and how do the uh, what, what are the what do the homes need to have front porches, you know, to, to really uh, spur that interaction that people want from a community? I call it the art of living. You know, when you live in a place, it's not just about the house and the walls. It's about the interactions that take place within the neighborhood. And the great thing about a new neighborhood is you have everybody coming in at once. It's not like there's a bunch of clicks already established. You, you have everybody in the same boat and they're able to forge these relationships. We've seen in, in River Heights and in all of our neighborhoods, great friends are made in these new neighborhoods because people are all moving in at the same time. They're all kind of in the same situation uh, and, and they're able to forge great relationships. So that's what we start thinking about when we start planning a neighborhood is how can we put the things in place to make that happen as opposed to, okay, what, what do we do to help people save a few bucks? We, we certainly want to deliver value and that's a, we can't start the conversation if we're not competitive. But at the same time, we, we wouldn't be doing our job if, if we didn't think about those aspects of the neighborhood, you know, people walking, walking their dogs, meeting, you know, their neighbors. Those are the things that make great neighborhoods for people. And that's what we're building neighborhoods for. Which we saw during the pandemic with people being out, little Susie on the bicycle, throwing the ball with little Johnny, doing walks with the families and nights right yeah. now. That is, it was funny. I, I, I had written down a question and you answered it with your responses earlier in our episode here. I wrote down, do you still have the same passion you had when you started this, but just hearing it in your voice in just the last couple of minutes, you answer that question just with the tone of your voice. Is, it's, you, you still have the same passion, if not more, than when you started. Yeah, it never gets old. And, you know, we, we uh, I didn't mention this earlier. I did mention that we're inspired by older neighborhoods. But, but when I was uh, in high school, we would go down to Seaside, you know, Northwest Florida. Uh, and, and Seaside was developed by Robert Davis in the mid eighties and it was a new neighborhood and it had all these elements of an older neighborhood, you know, street trees, great architecture. Of course he was blessed with the Seaside location. But when, when I started that, that's what really drove me and, and kind of instilled this in me is to see, Hey, you, you can do this. You don't have to build a soulless community with two story front arches in every house. You can build a place like Seaside and, and so to see that example uh, is really what drove me to start the company and, and continues to inspire me. And in fact, I was just down in, in that area, Northwest Florida recently, and it's really grown, but it's grown because people are attracted to, to that type of development, you know, that, that's developed around people, that's developed around families that, uh, that uh, compels them to get outside as opposed to be in front of their TVs. So, so that, that makes it an exciting business to be in for sure. Man, I, I can I can say with full candor that your competitive advantage is your reputation and your agility. 
And I can see just from this conversation how that has been a major part of your incredible success in, in, in doing this. And actually, even as this episode gets dropped, it's going to be very easy to take snippets out of this that when we have clients go, hey, just listen to this 90-second part of a clip with you know Michael Dyke on, 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 on Village Homes. That'll be really – I mean, you're – you awesome. just made my job so much easier. I'm just going to go, well, listen <laughs> well, to Michael. We want to make it easy for you, Jeremy, to sell house. That's, that's, we want to make it easy for you, for sure, for our clients and for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate and, you, and that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, most builders are pretty easy to deal with, I would say, when it comes to selling one of their homes. You know, some right. are a little more challenging than others. But y'all have always been very, very easy to work with, not just – for the clients, but for us as well. Well, we can't succeed without our partners. Right. You know, we, you bring us business, right? Yeah. And so that helps drive the engine, you know, of of our company. We can't do it without you. And, and we have lots yeah. of stakeholders, you know, that that we partner with. But certainly, uh, you guys, realtors, uh, y'all, the, the 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 key stakeholder for us uh, to drive our success. So let's go back to Michael Dyke, twenty years old, and. I know that there's a million things we would want to tell ourselves when we were that age. But if there is the one key takeaway, like if you're not going to listen to anything else, do or don't do this, what is the one thing you would tell yourself, 20-year-old self? Buy and hold quality real estate. <laughs> <laughs> so now I, I have um, – two sons and a daughter, you know, so I have, I have a 23-year-old son, a 20-year-old son, Marshall and Ben, and then a 14-year-old a daughter, Elizabeth. And so, you know, in, in thinking about the answer to this, I think about what I tell them, you know, because my, my sons, especially they're in that 20 years age, they're, they're getting this advice that I, you know, you, you sometimes see your kids as, okay, if I could redo things, this is what I want to do. And sometimes it get, leads to maybe too much, you know, like you're trying to relive the glory days. But what I always tell them and, and it would tell my 20-year-old self is part of the theme today is it, it all starts with integrity. It all starts with your reputation. You know, if you, if you tell your employer you're going to be there at 830, that's when you get there. If you tell somebody you're, you're going to get back to them on something, you get back to them on something. And you need to create systems, a list or whatever organizational tool you want to use to facilitate that. But if you – uh, you know, don't take care of your friends. If if you uh, don't follow through on your commitments, uh, very quickly people are going to start shying away from you. And this is a marathon. You know, life is a marathon, not a sprint. And these people that uh, are your friends now, maybe you will phase out of friends, but they're going to come back in your lives. Like a lot of the guys I went to college with, you know, you get busy having kids and doing all these things, but now it's been really fun because we're starting to reconnect. You know, we're starting to like, oh, wow, we've got a little more time. And so we can start reconnecting. And, and so, you know, the, these friends are for life. And, and if you want it to be for life, if you want to ha have the benefits and there, there are tremendous benefits from having those lifelong friendships, lifelong, obviously, family relationships. Uh, so whether it's your spouse, your kids, uh, your friends, uh, doing what you say you're going to do, um, starting with integrity uh, is the key to, to that happiness. And, and so that's what I would tell them. But I'd also tell them that, you know, honesty is, is the key as well. And sometimes human nature, it's all about telling somebody what they want to hear. You know, I don't want to shake the boat. 
right? You know, but being a good friend, being a good spouse, being a good leader is about being honest. You know, there's, you know, the Bible verse in Ephesians uh, is, you know, basically it's, it's all about love or, or speaking the truth with love, speaking the truth with love. That's what it's about because you have to be kind. You have to start with kindness, but you have to speak the truth. You don't want to tell somebody what they want to hear. That doesn't help them. But if you can tell them what they need to hear and, and do it with kindness, with love, then you're going to be a good friend, good spouse, uh, good son, um, good father. That, that's what it takes is, is speaking the truth with love. So, so that's what I would tell my 20-year-old self uh, is doing those things. And it's hard. You know, every, every moment being in the present and making those decisions and stopping yourself from maybe what our human emotions would tell us to do. And, and taking a step back and saying, you know, what really needs to be said here, uh, that's hard, but it's worth it. Man, I, I love this podcast series. And, and, and it's funny, my producer, Aaron, um, I, 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 I said, you know, I asked that question to sum up the or complete each podcast. And we've recorded over 20 episodes. That That's have already amazing. been out. And kudos right. for that. Oh, thank you. That's thank awesome. You. It's a lot of fun. My wife loves it because I don't bug her. And she's like, well, you just love talking. So this is perfect <laughs> for you. Uh, but we haven't to date after 20 previous recorded episodes. And now with this new series, we're recording another 11 episodes this week is we've never gotten the same answer That's when I awesome. asked that question. And I think that that, and, and it was an unintended it was more to be when I first started, it was like, okay, well, that indicates to the guests that we're going to wrap up, right? <laughs> and Aaron and I, as we started talking through this, went, wow, we could almost just build this around the themes of what people would tell 20-year-old self. So the unintended benefit that came out of this is hearing the candidness of what somebody would tell themselves 20 years ago, based on all the successes and failures they've had in business. So I really appreciate that answer is uh, I think what we're end up doing, and she had a great uh, advice, is that we're gonna we're gonna take. So we put this out on all the different podcasts, uh, platforms, in in YouTube, or you can just go to myexperiencedrealtor.com, click on the podcast link, go down and look at these. And I was like, man, we just need to make these these small snippets of the end when we say, what would you tell twenty year old self? And call that almost like a new series. What would you tell twenty year old yeah, self? Yeah, that really gets to the meat of the issue. Yeah. And 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 I, I would just you know say one other thing to that is that you know sometimes it's easy to say that it's like it's like it's like easy to start uh, and say you want to do an exercise regimen. You know, we're here at the beginning of the year, and it's like okay, I'm going to lose you know weight. I'm going to do this exercise, and so it's easy to say that. Uh, but I'm not saying that I do that. <laughs> all the time. And people that know me know, know that that's the case. Uh, so it's it's a good reminder, you know, to tell not only my 20-year-old self, but my 50-year-old self right. is, is is to remind myself to do that. It's because it's it's hard. It doesn't come natural for, for everybody, for sure. And doing the right thing is not always the easiest thing, right? Right. And uh, that's, why, that's why I tell folks, look, to do it right all the time, requires time and energy to do that. Yeah. Because sometimes just through, I mean, like guys like you and I, 
we we laugh at a 40 hour week right like <laughs> like yeah the trade off would be if we weren't business owners to go do a 40 hour week right, right. we don't right. even i mean we're done at 40 hours by wednesday yeah, right yeah, we're already yeah. into the next 48 yeah. hour 40 yeah. hours yeah and no um and so that is great great sound advice okay so people want to learn more about village homes and what what do we put out there for the audience to hear to to Come learn. So the best place to go to learn more about Village Homes is our website, homesofcharacter.com. So we really wanted a, a website that spoke to what we're about, and Homes of Character has been our tagline since we started. So homesofcharacter.com, uh, you can get information on the River District that we spoke about, River information about uh, the great specials that we're running on our kickoff for the Overlook uh, that we talked about, uh, as well as our other neighborhoods in Alito. Uh, and in Fort Worth. So homesofcharacter.com uh, is the place to go. That's fantastic. And for the audience, go to myexperiencerealer.com, click on podcasts, go down to Michael Dyke, and you will have a direct link to get to homesofcharacter.com in case you forget the name. You you can find it there. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the episode. We awesome. really appreciate your time. And I, I don't have to wish you success going on forward. I already know that you're going to continue to have great success. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for having me. It's been a great time. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you coming on.